0: So tonight in our uh, studies, we're continuing our study through the book of Galatians. Turn with me to Galatians uh, chapter 3. And uh, last week we dealt with uh, how the Judaizers were particularly trying to impress upon the church of Galatia uh, the Jewish laws and uh, the Mosaic Covenant. They were one of the people in following the Mosaic Covenant. And and so it was a very oppressive works-based faith. And what we find here is the Apostle Paul fighting against this legalism. Legalism, in its true state, is forming wherein you must follow these prescribed things in order to be faith, in order to uh, to be saved. Uh, and it's not just by faith, as Abraham did. It was, Abraham believed God; it was accounted to him for righteousness, as the Word of God tells us. So here in Galatians chapter three, <coughs> excuse me. Let's uh, look at verse 6 of Galatians chapter 3, and uh, we'll pick up verse 13, but just for some context uh, as we're looking tonight. Verse 6, let's read on. Even as Abraham uh, believed God and was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye, therefore, that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, in thee shall all nations be blessed? So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified. That word justified is, uh, if, you were to, that word justified is if you were in a court of law and maybe you had a criminal record. That word is the criminal record is completely thrown out as if you had never committed a crime. And that is justified by the law on the sight of God. is evident, for the just shall live by faith. No man is justified by the law on the sight of God. You can't do anything to be right with God. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant. Yet if it be confirmed, no man disannuleth or at it thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one. And to thy seed, which is Christ. And I want to tell you, I'm going to talk about this a little bit tonight if I have time to get there. But verse 16, in in modern translations, when this refers back to in the Old Testament, they make it plural. And to make it plural creates tremendous damage to who Christ is. And I want to say we have God's Word, and I'm so thankful for that tonight. But as we think on these very truths uh, in the Word of God, Paul has spoken of Abraham and the seed of Abraham in the Scriptures. And uh, now he speaks of Abraham and the Savior. And, and this, when that seed, I mean, this is exciting. The Old Testament and the promise, and to thy seed, I mean, this, I'm, I'm going to give you some of the other translations just for reference uh, to show you the changes that are made. They're not the same. And uh, it's quite astounding, and I began to look at it, and I looked at some commentaries, and and I just realized, I said, wow, it's amazing just how accurate of God's Word it is. And you look at the Scriptures and the Greek, and and, uh, it really does come out to light. But anyways, nevertheless, Paul has introduced the Galatians, his friends, to an aspect of the law that the Judaizers downplayed. They would downplay the fearful curse of the law wherein the Jewish people were trying to follow all of these laws, hoping that they had done enough to merit uh, being right before God. And uh, But now he shows us something, verse 13, particularly, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. He talks about redemption. And uh, and, and curses everyone that hangeth on the tree. And we're going to talk about that. Now, before I go any further... We're dealing, yes, we're dealing with Abraham. But what we find here is so, I, I think, foundational for us as Christians. Just establishing, you can never work your way to God; it's by faith, and it, it is absolutely pivotal to our, to all of Christianity. Christianity is not a, it, it's not a works-based. It's a faith-based uh, belief and, and a relationship with God. That Abraham started by believing God, that started the relationship, and as a result of believing God, he left Ur of the Chaldees. But he believed what, he, he, well, God told him to leave, he left, and, and God told him these promises, and he believed God. And it was counted to him for righteousness. But before we go any further, let's pray, and uh, we'll continue our study this evening Dear Heavenly and Gracious Father, I come before you. Lord, I pray tonight that as the word of God goes forth, that you'd help me uh, to be accurate, precise, and clear. Uh, Lord, I pray that I won't speak anything. I ought not to. Lord, I pray you'd refrain my lips. And uh, Lord, I understand that those watching and present, Lord, sometimes we have some real difficulties in our lives. But may tonight's message not only be of knowledge, but Lord, may it also pierce our heart. and Give us encouragement and confidence in the wonder of our God. So Lord, I yield it all to Thee. I thank You for Your grace. Father, go before us. God, You take over. I pray You've been pleased. And may we please you by all that goes forward. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. I want you to look with me at Deuteronomy 21-23. And I want to deal first of all tonight, in Deuteronomy 21-23, with the idea of accursed is anyone who hangeth on a tree. And I think this is very significant. It's absolutely significant. um, Not just from what I say, but from what the Word of God says. In Deuteronomy 21-23... And, and the Apostle Paul is highlighting this as we find in Galatians chapter 3 of someone hanging on a tree. He, he says in Galatians, uh, Deuteronomy 21, 23, his, uh, verse 22, And if a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and to be put to death, now hang him on a tree. His body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that is hanged is a curse of God. Thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. So there is, in this very day, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And uh, Paul's highlighting this. Paul used to be an arch persecutor against Christians. And so, it, you know, this would have been a very impossible thing for a Jewish person to think about, that the Messiah himself would be hung on a tree, a cursed thing. Why would the Messiah die on an accursed thing? From a Jewish perspective, Jewish cultural, religious perspective, why would a Messiah die on a tree when God calls that accursed So that could have been a potential stumbling block to the Apostle Paul. I'm not saying it is, but, you know, when you think about from a Jewish perspective, why would some man, from their thoughts, I'm not saying from our thoughts, from a biblical perspective, but from their thoughts, why would some man just die? They would say, yeah, he died on the cross. He died on a tree. But he can't necessarily be my Messiah. So you know, see, all the religious things of the Jewish people would create a stumbling block, but they also refused to believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He, they didn't believe he was the Messiah. They didn't believe he was God. I mean, when he said, before Abraham was, I am, they sought to stone him. So they had, I mean, their system. But one terrible example of this punishment is recorded in the Old Testament. And it actually is found in Numbers twenty-five. I want to show you an incident of someone being hanged, uh, of how horrific it is. I mean, when you think about this, accursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That's our Savior. That's that's God in the flesh, God incarnate, the Creator, as Jesus says in John one. And yet He's on a tree. That's remarkable. And he did it for you and he did it for me. Numbers chapter 25. Now, here's the illustration. When Balaam, Balaam remember Balaam's donkey? The donkey talked to Balaam when he went to go curse Israel. And uh, <clears throat> God stopped the donkey. The donkey, you know, he started smacking the donkey. Nevertheless, Balaam re- was told by God, don't curse Israel. And he couldn't. So, when he failed to curse God's people, he you know, he taught Balak, the king of Moab, he says, well, I can't curse Israel, but here's how you destroy Israel. He said, you will never conquer this people with the men of Moab, my lord, king, what Balaam would talk about. But he said, I suggest you try the women of Moab, and it worked. Now, I think, just a quick aside from where the direction we're going, I want to make a note that Balaam's discussion about Israel, he said, you can't destroy them with the men, but you can destroy them with the women. They'll intermarry, and they'll steal their hearts, and they'll take them back to idolatry. And that's exactly what happened to Solomon. His heart with the 700 wives and 300 concubines stole his heart from God back to a pagan idolatry and caused great harm. And that's exactly what happened. Anyways, the people began to commit, commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. Idolatry went forth. Israel joined themselves to Baal-peor and the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. As a result, verse 20, chapter 25, verse 1 of Numbers 25. And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people into the sacrifice of their god, and the people did eat, and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take all the heads of the people, and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay ye every one his men that were joined unto Baal Peor. There must have been a thousand of them. I mean, there was a lot of men. This incident is extraordinary because the Jews customarily executed people by stoning, but here they hanged them because they were absolutely accursed. We find a few other uh, hangings in the Bible. Ahithophel, the man who betrayed David, 2 Samuel 17, and Absalom, the man who raised the standard, was hanged in a tree. 2 Samuel 18. In the New Testament, Judas hanged himself. Matthew 27. Saul of Tarsus was familiar with both, you know, particularly the Old Testament curse and the various examples of its application. And here we find conceding some things that Jesus hung on a tree, crucified on a Roman cross according to the Old Testament law, Jesus died under the direct curse of God. Saul of Tarsus might have never been willing to concede the death of Israel's Messiah, but Paul did. But on a tree, never. You think it was the impossible thing about Christianity. And then there on the road to Damascus, Saul of Tarsus meets the risen Lord and everything changes. He had met the crucified, risen, and ascended Lord. Seeing the nail prints in His hands. You see that redemption. Curses everyone that hanging on the tree. And my Savior went to a cross hanging in the accursement of God wherein <laughs> the wrath of God was upon Him. The very curse, part and parcel of the entire law. aimed directly at everyone who breaks the law. And Christ died in my stead as a curse. Cursed. We're all aimed at Him. I mean, think about that. He died on a tree, which was the very symbol of the curse of the law. And wearing a crown of thorns, the very symbol of the curse of the fall. Genesis chapter 3. Now, Paul points out to his, the believers here, verse 14, that the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. He says, listen, it's not about doing any Jewish laws or following anything. It's about just simply a faith in Christ. A promise of the Spirit through faith. And we understand. <clears throat> the, spirit, the baptism of the Spirit occurs at the moment, at the moment every person except Jesus Christ as their Savior, the Spirit of God comes in and indwells them. And they become a part of God's family. The gift of the Spirit puts all, you know, the wisdom, love, and power of the Godhead at the disposal of the child of God. The indwelling of the Spirit puts God. Wherein God and man, the Spirit is united. The seal of the Spirit, which secures the believer eternally. You can't lose your salvation. I mean, the very thing, you have the filling of the Spirit allowing us to do all that God's called us to do and the anointing of the Spirit, which enables us, empowers the believer for service. I mean, we we get all the Spirit at the moment we become a believer. At the very moment. Who would want to exchange all of, the, all of the blessings we get by faith in Christ alone for some obsolete, impossible rules of a dead, Christ-rejecting religion? You see, the believer in Christ can have all that Abraham had and more. Salvation by faith through grace regardless of the law. He can have all the Holy Spirit brings with him when he enters a regenerated human heart. The Judaizers have nothing to offer compared to this. Christ redeemed me from the curse of the law. That law that Christ, on on that tree, which was the, the end state of the judgment of the law, Christ was on that cross, that tree. The fulfillment at the final judgment, He was there on, in my place and yours. And the promises to Abraham come to Gentiles through Jesus Christ. And the covenant here, the contract principle here, He says in. Verse 15, Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannuleth or added thereto. Now, here's something that's very important. He's still pursuing his first major point that believers are the seed of Abraham. Verses 6 through 29, we'll see this. He had reviewed the conversion of Abraham, that it was by faith. He draws on an everyday illustration here. Now, When a contract is formulated in a legal form, duly signed, sealed, and delivered, it becomes binding on both contracting parties, the one who's giving the contract and the one who's signing the contract. And there's an agreement. It cannot be canceled or modified by someone else, the principle of contract. When changes are made in a contract, it has to be with the consent of both parties to the agreement. You know what? There's a lot of contracts that are made. If you want to buy a house, there's a contract with the seller. Uh, if you want to do a job, uh, they say an empl- some company comes and you say, hey, I need such and such work done on my, on my house. Uh, they give you a contract. They say, here it is. We'll do the work. Here's the amount you pay. You, they do the work. You pay them. You're signing saying, you do the- if you do the work, I'll pay you. You're making an agreement. And we find that God works in his dealings with men in a very similar fashion. The Edenic uh, covenant, the the covenant in the Garden of Eden, the Edenic uh, covenant governed the terms whereby Adam and Eve could live in the Garden of Eden. You break this covenant, he says, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What happens? They breached it. There were consequences. So, If they continue to obey, then they're in agreement. The Adamic covenant details a new governing life after the Garden of Eden of the sinful man. The Noahic covenant spells out the new conditions that were to prevail after the flood. The Abrahamic covenant opened new vistas of grace and promise and is a covenant that Paul is concerned with here. The Abrahamic covenant that I'll make you, a you know, a father of many nations, and we'll talk more about that. You have the Mosaic Covenant, uh, also reviewed here by Paul. You have the Palestinian Covenant, uh, terms and conditions upon which Israel could stay in the promised land. The Davidic Covenant, which really established the prospect of the millennial kingdom, confirmed the promise under the Adamic uh, Covenant of a coming kingsman, redeemer, and king. And then you have the New Covenant foretold in the New Testament, foretold in the Old Testament, it was ratified there at Calvary in the blood of Christ. Now, the covenant principle is basically all of God's dealings with man. God, if God, you know, Israel, God would make a, an agreement with Israel, let's say the Mosaic Covenant, and God says, you will stay in the promised land, and I'll bless you, and bless, you know, if you will obey me. So there were conditions to maintaining a unity of faith with God. Not a faith, you can't, but, but necessarily the blessings there in the promised land. If they were to be obedient to God, if they were to maintain in the blessings of God, they were to be obedient. And, and so they were accepting and they said, all that you do, all that you say, Lord. When Moses gave that covenant agreement, Israel said, we will do all that you've said. So they agreed to the covenant. Now, the conditions of maintaining that covenant were upon Israel's obedience. Now, when God made the covenant to Abraham, it was upon God's character. It's unconditional promise that is based upon God's uh, character and not upon Abraham's failings because we know that Abraham failed. And just as salvation can't be given up. You can't lose salvation because it's an unconditional uh, gift given if you accept it by faith. There's an agreement. and You accept your lost, wicked state. When a covenant is introduced and overlaps with previous content, the new terms are rendered necessary by man's sin in violation of the earlier agreement. You see, the new provisions do not cancel the older ones. They are of a temporary nature and are sufficiently flexible to preserve unchanged, the essential clause of the original agreement. From the time of man's fall, no matter what contract is enforced, the basis of man's salvation remains unchanged. It's by faith. God has only one way of saving men. He saves by grace through faith on the basis of the finished work of Christ. Now, in the Old Testament, Abraham believed God. He put his faith in God. And I'm going to say more there that seed is this coming Messiah that's coming. And Paul now takes up the essential basic agreement of the Abrahamic covenant here, verse 16. Now, to Abraham and his seed, singular, where the promise is made, he saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one. And to thy seed, which is Christ. Here's the supreme goal of the Abrahamic covenant an absolutely unconditional covenant promise. It consisted of a series of contractual promises. I'm going to take you back. We're going to look at this promise, this covenant here uh, somewhat tonight. Genesis chapter 12. Would you look with me in your Bible here? Genesis chapter 12. And I'm going to go through these. Uh, you can Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 through 3. And uh, now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house into a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee, and these shall all families of the earth be blessed. So we find, that, <coughs> excuse me, God would make of him a great nation. He would bless him, make his name great, make him a blessing to the world, bless those who blessed him, curse those who cursed him, to make him the one through whom all nations would be blessed. This contract was later expanded and explained. Let's look at Genesis 15. We're not going to look in all of these verses, but if you want to look at the entire context in your own studies, Genesis 15, verses 1 through 21. Let's look at Genesis 15, 5. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars and thou be able to number them. He said to them, So shall thy seed be. Now we understand here, seed is numerous as the stars of heaven. And then you find to emancipate that sleet, uh, verses 13 and 14. And Here's another promise. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years. So they're going to be afflicted 400 years. They're going to become wealthy, and also that nation whom they shall serve, will I judge, and afterwards shall they come out with great substance. They're going to be wealthy. That's another promise. To allow Abraham himself to live to a ripe old age and then die in peace. Verse 15. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. To ensure Abraham would inherit a land that would stretch from the Nile to the Euphrates. Verse 18. And then if you read all of this, verses 18 through 21, you'll find here, uh, again, Abraham went to in a land that was stretched from the Nile to the Euphrates. At the end of verse 18. You come a little further, chapter 17, let's look at another passage of Scripture. In verses 4 through it, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceedingly fruitful. And I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, in their generations. For an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan. For an everlasting possession I'll be their God. So we find in God's covenant established between Abraham and his seed throughout their generations. An everlasting covenant. In verse 8, we find the land was given, particularly the guaranteed possession of the covenant was the seed of Abraham, of his children, in totality. Now, the seal of the covenant, as far as Abraham, physical physical posterity was concerned, was there in the circumcision, verse 10. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. Right? This is just, a, again, a reminder of the promise made to Abraham. And they're still doing it today. And you don't get any part of this blessing that he shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man in your generation. Every man, child, in your generation, excuse me, he is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger, which is not of thy seed. And it goes on through verse 14. It says in verse 14, that soul shall be cut off from his people, he hath broken my covenant. Before that, it's talking about if you're not uncircumcised. If you're uncircumcised. So there's a remembrance of this covenant. Sarah's, in verse, Sarah's name is, uh, Sarai's name is changed to Sarah. Verse 15. The promised seed would come through her. Verse 20. Was promised, Ishmael has promised greatness. But the Abrahamic covenant was not ratified, and Sarah would bear Abraham, a son, who would be heir to the promise, verse 21. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. So there was tremendous, there was a lot of promises that are given to Abraham. But now Paul takes up something in verse 16 of Galatians. He says something in this unconditional fact. I want you to note this. Verse 16 of Galatians 3. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. And when we think about that, we think of a a very, you know, continuing generations. But God does something here. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. He's saying, listen, the greatness behind Abraham, through him the Messiah would come. He's pinpointing very specifically that the supreme goal of the promise to Abraham is in Christ. The seed of the woman, Genesis 3.15 what is the very first Messianic prophecy. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. That was fulfilled in Christ. Foretold the coming of Christ, a Messianic, Messiah's prophecy. Singular. The seed was next shown to be the seed of Abraham, restricting the promise of coming Christ to a single family in the world. A virgin-born, a member of the human race, but also a member of the Hebrew race. The seed of David, 2 Samuel 7. A member of the Hebrew racial family, but also a member of the royal, Hebrew royal family. But I want you to note something with me. Let's look at verse 17, and I'll come back on this very thought. The modern translations... They undermine and they steal the significance of Christ. In verse 17, in this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ. The modern translations, they remove in Christ. If you have the ESV, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God. The RSV, the Revised Standard, the NAS, the NIV, they get rid of in Christ. Every one of these. And I'm telling you, this is very significant. In Christ is dropped. Because there has to be a fulfillment of the law and it was only fulfilled in Christ. If you remove Christ, you do irreparable damage to the, the Word of God. You can't take that out. It's not optional in the text. Not only that, the covenant through his seed was Christ. Abraham's covenant was through Christ. So if you change it from seed to seeds, you do a lot of damage. I want to show, turn with me to Genesis chapter 12, verse 7. I want to take you down a few passages of Scripture. I'm going to read for you the modern translations. I am in no way condoning them. I'm in fact showing you the error of their theology. People say it's just the these and the thous. I want to tell you it's not the these and the thous. There is absolute doctrinal deviancy that is changed, affecting doctrinal moorings in the modern translations. Genesis chapter 12, verse 7. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto thy seed, will I give this land, and there builded he an altar the Lord who appeared unto him. Now, <clears throat> Paul's talking about the covenant with Abraham, through his seed, which was Christ. The law was added later and did not affect the covenant promise to those who would be saved by believing as Abraham did. God promised Abraham that through his seed, singular, all the families of the earth would be blessed. That was a covenant confirmed before God, before of God, in Christ. So that removal of in Christ. <laughs> now, it says, Unto thy seed will I give this land. Genesis 12, 7, to your descendants, New King James. Descendants. New King James even changes it. And Galatians 3:16 refers to this very passage and it emphasizes uh, that God specifically said the singular word seed and that it referred to Christ. The New King James translates Galatians 3.16 properly and footnotes it as referring to Genesis 12.7, 13.15, and four seven. But in all those instances, it uses the plural word descendants. This is a significant difference, and it certainly affects the very vital doctrine of Christ, so it cannot be dismissed lightly. The ESV, to your offspring. The RSV, Revised Standard Version, to your descendants. The New American Standard Version, Genesis 12-7, to your descendants will I give this land. Genesis 12-7, NIV, to your offspring will I give this land. Galatians 3-16 is so specific. It said seed, not seeds. And a reference back. Genesis, some might say, well, it's, it's singular there and plural there. Uh, okay, then they say, well, Genesis 21-12 specifically is singular, so it must be in relation to Galatians 3.16. This is what I saw in one uh, commentary, and I said, wait a second, let's go back and check it in the other translations. If it's a reference back to seed singular, I hope I'm not losing you here. My friend... There is a demonic, deviant agenda in the modern translations. And it is trying to damage and mar the character of my Christ and our Christ. It's trying to make Him like everyone else. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not the Christ, the Messiah. In Genesis twenty-one twelve, the King James. Look with me here, and I will read for you. The New King James does have in your seed for that. In other places it does alter it. In the ESV, I want you to look with me at Genesis twenty-one uh, twenty-one twelve. I'm going to read the ESV. You look at your the New King uh, the, not the New King James. Excuse me, the King James. But God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. When it says, RSV says, for through Isaac shall your descendants be named, through Isaac your descendants shall be named, the new American, the NIV, through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And Isaac shall thy seed be called the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. They're changing things. You said, Pastor, why are you dealing with this when you're doctoring, trying to just say, you know, you're going against legalism? Yes, but I wanted us to see. I mean, this is a Pivotal, every passage of Scripture is pivotal. You alter God's Word, you alter truth. You alter truth, you're now with the devil. Because what Satan did in the garden, you follow a lie, you're following Satan. It has to be true. You follow truth, you're following God. You follow a lie, you're following Satan. So It's either truth or a lie. It can't be partial. And the Apostle Paul here, he's saying the the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant is through Christ in the millennial kingdom. Christ is going to rule the entire, he's going to rule the world, but he'll also be king there in Jerusalem, the fulfillment of gaining all the land. I mean, it's just all, it all comes together here. It's so significant. The fulfillment is through Christ and in Christ. After Abraham's disastrous attempt to produce the promised seed in the energy of the flesh in Ishmael by involving himself with Hagar, the Egyptian bondwoman, God allowed matters to take their course. And then came the demand from Sarah, cast out the bondwoman and her son. God endorsed this command. Hearken unto her voice. <laughs> you know, For in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That word seeds, Zerah, is in the singular, and Paul is seizing upon this singular word seeds. Seeds would apply to all of our offspring, all the children, all of the descendants. Had God decided that this promise intended to refer to not only the natural descendants of Abraham. You know, God could have used something like sons, descendants, or children. He ignores all that, all the words. That word seed was very deliberate, divine choice to draw special attention to Christ as the designated seed of Abraham. Woo-hoo! I mean, that's exciting. Abraham's son Isaac was to be called contrary to nature as a miracle in a response to Abraham's faith. The true seed was Christ. Paul carries this further. He was the one to whom the promise pointed. All other promises centered in him. Therefore to share in the promises one must necessarily belong to Christ. In verse 29, if ye be Christ then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. If you put your faith in Christ, you're part of Abraham's seed. That's where the promise lies. He underlines two words. The promise in Christ. He's using these words in a death blow to the legalists. The supreme goal of the promise to Abraham regarding the seed was the advent of Christ. Everything hinges on promises, not works. On Christ, not Moses. On faith, not the law. I'm going to bring that to a close tonight here. That promise given to Abraham. Fulfillment in Christ. That's pretty amazing. In this right here, Galatians 3.16, Paul by the inspiration of the Spirit of God, God gives to us. Modern translations will translate this, Galatians 3.16, they'll translate it in this idea, very similar to what we see here. But the previous passages with which this reference is back, because remember the Bible always, the Bible's the best commentary on itself. The references to which you could reference this passage of Scripture, they make it plural, not singular. And they do great damage to Christ. Abraham and his Savior. It all points to Jesus. And unfortunately, the nation of Israel, and Israel through the centuries, has neglected this very truth. They've neglected the Messiah for some global ruler that they want. They'll save him from the consequences of their sins. This is exciting. This ought to, I mean, you ought to be encouraged and confident that we have God's word. Because the other translations, when they're translating in plural, they're undermining and stealing away from God the true intent of the Abrahamic covenant. You're changing theology. And that is not of God. To change theology away from truth is of the devil. And my friend, tonight, if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus God in Jesus Christ, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. I believed in God. Others have believed in God. The word of God. If Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's by belief, faith. And My friend, when you do that, by your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're born again, eternally God's child. But you have to understand that you're guilty and you deserve the punishment of, of God. The default conviction is hell. In simple faith, ask and forgive you, be your savior. And Christian, we ought to rejoice The entire Bible, the Old Testament points to Christ, the New Testament points back to Christ, and forward looking to Christ in His return. The fulfillment of the covenants, the Abrahamic covenant is Christ. My friend, we have free access to Him too. That's exciting. Don't let those Jewish people and those who want to be in religious systems tell you you have to follow X, Y, Z or else you can't get to God. No. You must simply just put your faith and trust in Christ. And you're born again. With those words, let's come to the time of invitation. Just a short time here. With heads bowed and eyes closed tonight. Let's give you a short time to just thank the Lord or however God may have spoken to your heart tonight. But I trust this was an encouragement I trust it also gave you a greater confidence in the Bible and why we, we say I'm sticking with the preserved Word of God for the English-speaking people. I'm not going to go with the newest print edition.